Welcome to Kairos Talks, the Crucial Conversation Podcast. All right, guys. Hey, welcome to Kairos Talks. This is part two of uh, politics uh, with my British friend, Daniel. And before we get into the politics side, I want to ask a really important, critical question. Daniel, what is your favorite fast food restaurant in the United States? In the United States, I tell you, it's got to be Sonic. If I could eat Sonic every day, I totally would. If I didn't think I'd die in a week. <laughs> it's not McDonald's, so you might make it a couple more years. The thing know? is, McDonald's in the UK is actually pretty good compared with here. I must admit, it's, really? it's not bad. Yeah, they make it out of real meat because we've got more laws than you guys on food regulations. <laughs> well, Americans hate people like ourselves, you know, like we just, we just, we just figure we'll just give you all the stuff and population control. Maybe it's like the opposite of China. I don't know. That's a terrible joke. I shouldn't go that far. Um, second part of the question. Go what on. is the Sonic equivalent in the UK? You know, that's a difficult one. I'm not sure there is any equivalent, which is why I think I like it so much because it's so radically different from anything we have in the UK. We don't have any drive-in restaurants. Really? I mean, I guess it's like, like Palm Desert. Palm Desert. Yeah, it's like Palm Springs, but like slightly fancier. And they don't have any drive throughs Yeah. No, we don't. We, uh, we have drive throughs sorry, but we don't have drive-ins. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. That's, you know, where they like roll up on roller skates. and Exactly. Exactly. Ha- have you ever seen anyone like totally eat crap when they're trying to bring you food? You know, Sonic, or at least the Sonic here, they don't use roller skates anymore. They used to, but they don't anymore. That's... I mean, I don't know. I feel like I would tip you more. Like, I get it. You have to remake my food, and it's probably more expensive, but that's fun. Um, it is terrible. Um, you know, here's, a, here's an interesting statistic for you, which, sorry to go a bit more serious for a moment, but should shock you. In Britain, there are 300 and I think it's 370-something ingredients that are banned in cosmetics. In America, there are four. Wow. That should, that should worry you. But anyway... I don't wear cosmetics. Uh, but it's similar with food and stuff like that as well. But it's just... Yeah, I know. It's, I, I try not to think about it because it's just, it's just terrible. So I have to say not eating fast food and not eating out as much has definitely um, saved me a lot of, a lot of hassle uh, and some pounds, actually. Yeah, cutting out fast food and, and beer actually don't even it's worth it no i can't round is a shape i don't want to be in you know i guess technically but i just can't i can't get on it um i stick with my scotch on the rocks um so sorry back to the the, um, somewhat serious conversation um which will be so much better with scotch on the rocks there is a weekday so we're not going to do that um it's bad for your sleep uh that's I will true. It I is. Work sleep now, so I know all the things that make my life less fun. Um, we were talking about. We just finished up our last conversation with some some things that we can take away from, or or we can do in light of you know Biden being president and, and his policy and his agenda, if you will, uh, during his term. And you would start to talk. We start to talk about kind of mentioning thought crime and things of that nature. And you were just about to mention something along that vein, um, in, in something about Britain and uh, mm. 
and your friends and, and some interesting policies there. So why don't you why don't you jump into that? Yeah, I mean, for a long time, we've had something called the arrest for public safety, which is a questionable arrest anyways, where you haven't committed a crime, but you may commit a crime. And so we can detain you for a small time to prevent you from committing a crime that we believe you will. Um, but uh, more serious than that is recently they've developed this, this new thing of um, a non-criminal hate incident where you can be uh, arrested by the police, investigated by the police, and given not charged, but effectively charged with a non-criminal hate incident, which is where you haven't committed a crime, but you've been hateful, you know, bad you. And so you're slapped with a non-crime hate incident on your permanent record. Uh, and uh, a friend of mine, somebody I know fairly well in the United Kingdom, um, does a similar thing to this. Um, he's got a YouTube show. Uh, he's been heavily involved in politics and he brought a a professor on, a very well-respected history professor, who made some fairly underworld comments about um, slavery and the history of slavery. And the host of the show was charged with a non-crime hate incident for allowing this content to go out, which uh, it beggars belief, frankly. It's absurd. And it's a dangerous precedent set for journalism in the United Kingdom. Yeah. Um, I, you know, you, you hear about I, I hear that and I just jump back to 1984, the book mm. by George Orwell. Mm. And I think um, that book is interesting because it was, I had this crazy English teacher who would like quiz you on a specific word in a specific paragraph. And you had to like three response, write in the word for the thing. And so, and I was working like five jobs. So I was skimming the entire book. Mm. And so I got like, way more right than I should have, like 50%, but I have no idea what was going on, you know? And I just remember there was a scene that I was incredibly piqued by, and the main character in, in 1984 walks into his home, and he says, I have to wear my face. So he talks about how he can't have any expression on his face because mm. simply having the wrong expression could get you arrested. Mm. Um, mm. And I no, I think, I think there's been two, you know, in the way in which we understand sort of sociology and stuff like that, there's been two competing major visions of dystopia. Uh, one is Orwell's 1984 and the other is Huxley's uh, Brave New World. And one is sort of a uh, autocratic uh, political dictatorship. The other is technocratic. And, you know, we, we've beaten both of them. We've managed to merge <laughs> technocratic and the autocratic <laughs> together. And we've got a brave new 1984. Um, we, we've, We've gone that beyond is, that is officially the name of this podcast. Brave <laughs> 1984. Uh, that, that was beautifully well said. And Huxley's book was fantastic, horrific, but mm. also fantastic. Uh, and yeah. so recognizable, right? So relatable. You know, I this year, well, last year, 2020, I've been reading a lot of dystopia. I I wanted to catch up. Um, catch up on so Fahrenheit 451 was one of them. Canticle for Leibowitz is an interesting one where only the Catholic Church survives after an apocalypse. Interesting novel. Um, yeah, so all these visions of dystopia are surprisingly not as distant as, as they feel when the authors wrote them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 1984 was written... 1948. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I was like, I, I know the answer to that. But that was what he was... He thought it might happen in, you know, 40-some-odd years. Mm. Um, but you know we made it longer but yeah. <laughs> we we haven't got there yet i think i think it's important that we haven't got there yet and um, 
we do have the option to turn it around. I think I think that's fundamental. This is not yet 1984. We're getting there. You know, it's 1978, 1979, right? But it's not yet 1984. We haven't yet had the revolution that sparks it. And maybe coronavirus, maybe the end of coronavirus will be be it. When, When people see that their governments have sacrificed the future of the next three or four generations for the sake of 1% of the population, that may well be um, a spark in either direction, either to, you know, an anti-authoritarian direction or a much more authoritarian direction. But we're not there yet. And uh, we can change it, I think. Yeah. And, and I mean, for those that are listening, if you haven't already, go check out those books, 1984 by George Orwell and Brave New World by Huxley. Um, really good books. They're not even long reads. I want to say like the 100, 150 page range. Um, yeah, a few hundred pages, two, 200 pages, maybe something like that. Yeah, uh, they're, they're really solid books and uh, kind of break down the word dystopian. Um, if you, and I've got the dictionary definition, sorry, I turned my dictionary brain off tonight. Um, but dystopian being the opposite of utopian, which is a paradise, um, you know, kind of the inverse or opposite. It's, it's this um, gray world where emotions and joy are not exactly real. Um, in 1984, emotions, you know, it literally looks like a, a monotone black gray palette where, you know, buildings are gray. And, you know, there's one scene where there's a, the color of coral and it's just this magnificent thing that doesn't exist in the world. And, and it's, uh, it, it just lacks color and expression and joy. And then in 19, in, um, you know, does that's what I was talking about in um, Huxley's book, Brave New World, you see that there's false joy. There's parties taking place, but only for these this upper echelon of people and the lower class are just slaves to these this higher class. And um, and then there's these cultures where real life is lived and they're studied and made fun of and called savages because they have love and joy and hate uh, versus lust, which tends to, to rule the upper class. There's been a quote that has fascinated me for this last year. And I started writing my own sort of dystopian novel around this single quote. It's not got anywhere really yet. I've sent it to a few people, uh, first few chapters, and maybe it will go somewhere. But it was a quote by um, ah, the great GK Chesterton. Mm. And he was asked about the secularization of the world and what it meant for beauty and what it meant for the way in which we perceive the world. He, He, he questioned, I can't remember the exact quote, so forgive me, I'm sure somebody can look it up and find it, but he questioned what would happen in a world where people ceased to think of a sunrise and began to think of an earth rotation. Mm. And that to me, I found that fascinating, the idea of reducing everything entirely in, in, in the age of secularization to its purely constituent parts. And what would that look like? What would a world without morality without joy for the sake of joy, beauty for the sake of beauty, what would it look like? Yeah. Anyway, sorry, just a bit of a sidetrack there, but. No, no, I, I think it's, I think it's a solid point. And I guess the question becomes, you know, and, and I'm guilty of this, but you know, you, we get so caught up in the minutia of everyday life. You know, I, I go to work, um, mm. hopefully most times not, I find some time to do some exercise. My Apple watch tells me I'm supposed to do 30 minutes and I've gotten like 5% there for a solid three months. 
Um, I've got, you know, I've got a book I'm working on. I've got the podcast. I've got my wife. I've got um, family, you know, so I get caught in this minutia of, of all the things I've got to do. There's dishes in the sink. And I forget to kind of reflect and, and see what's happening. And, you know, yeah, go ahead. I know you usually leave this a little bit later, so maybe we can come back to it as well. But if I can give people a piece of advice to help them with exactly that, focusing on minutia instead of focusing on, on the ground things, it would be to make it your aim to not be entertained. I think it's such an interesting revolution concept. Everything you do, think, is this purely for my own entertainment? If it is, it's a waste of your time. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't have times relaxing and things like that. I think we should. But there is so much in what we do. You mentioned earlier not using social media. You know, people scroll through social media. People look, go down these YouTube rabbit holes or watch these Netflix shows, you know, binge it. And yeah, everyone loves a bit of entertainment. But at the end of the day, it doesn't give you anything. And it stops you from focusing on what really matters in the world. That's, a, that's been a really big thing for me, I think. Trying not to be entertained. It sounds, it's a, it's a difficult one, but it's, trust me, it will revolutionize your life. No, and I think, I mean, I think there's a, a discipline of finding habits and learning to be entertained by new things. Because there is, there can yeah. be entertainment in the discipline of learning. Um, there can be, you know, this isn't, this isn't just for entertainment for us. This is thought-provoking conversation. And it happens to be fun for us, but. what well, I meant purely entertained. Maybe right. I should clarify that. Purely yeah. entertained. See, not to be purely entertained. Right. And, and I think, I was just talking to someone the other day and, and I, and it was a, a conversation and I realized they're asking me about, you know, I go to this church and it's an amazing church. I love it. And, and they're open, they're indoors and it's really, really cool. I'm very grateful for that opportunity to fellowship. And they were saying, well, our church is open indoors, but we have four masks unless we're seated. We do temperature checks and they're a little bit more cautious in that regard. Mm -hmm. And then they're also like 60, 70 people, maybe they're hundred, hundred people. This church is probably, I don't know, three or 400 over three or four services. And, and the question was, you know, how do you view our church? And I said, you know, and that's something the topic isn't, you know, comparing churches and stuff. But I said, I'm addicted to growing things. So if your church isn't growing, I would probably just be involved in a way that pushed it to grow in, in whatever small way I could contribute, whatever social media, website development, marketing, whatever, you know, I would be wanting to do that thing. Now, building that love for growth in many areas is, is fun, but it's not purely entertaining. It is entertaining, but it's not precisely, precisely pure entertainment is, uh, yes, is the thing to stay away from. But yes, you're right. Finding entertainment in, in the things in which benefit us is, is the pinnacle of, you know, free time. You know, if you can find your joy in reading Epictetus or, in watching documentaries about, I don't know, whatever it is you're interested in, or listening to podcasts that inform you and, and give you great ways to, to reimagine the world, then, then that's entertainment, guilt-free entertainment to sort of steal the 
the slogans of, of the new health food, right? Guilt-free entertainment. Yeah, yeah. And actually, it's it's a good time to bring it up because 15 minutes goes by fast. We're, we're already there. So wow. we can wrap up, I think. And, and I guess to kind of go from start to end and, and give some action items as we as we try to do in, in this show, um, one, looking at realizing, you know, our current government, you know, where things are going, the banning of language, the controlling of thoughts, you know, no offense to, to Britain, but the example that they have of non-hate hate crimes. Um, worse in Canada. It's worse in Canada. Oh, it's worse in Canada. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> Sorry, the non-criminal hate hate crimes that are not criminal. Non-criminal hate incidents. Right. Not, yes, that one. Um, I, I think we've got to be on guard. And don't get me wrong, you know, we're not supposed to hate. We're supposed to hate evil, you know, if you're a Christian. Absolutely. Hate evil, hate sin. But even even in hating those things, judgment is, is of the Lord. At the same time, mm. restricting the ability to feel emotions is is completely wrong. It's unnatural. It's not what God intended. And you know, we're not supposed to be subject to our emotions, but we're supposed to experience them, process them. And what you define as hate, the government may not define as hate, mm. and vice versa. Yeah, interesting. So lots to think about there. So we would encourage you guys, check out those books, do some reading. Mm. If you don't like reading, get an audio book. Um, I'm, I'm not going to ever read you 1984 on this podcast. So this is not the right place to do that. Um, but go check out those books. And, and I would say do some personal reflection. What would it look like if someone came up to you and said, hey, I don't know the details of what you're thinking, but it's wrong. Mm. Can't think that way. And if you read those books, you'll start to understand where that comes from. And it's a scary place. Mm. And I think Daniel's point, you know, looking from the outside, only visiting the U.S. and saying you're, you're headed there. Um, that's a solid point. It's not one I don't know that I don't know that I considered it as that close, but I'm in the middle. Of it and he's on the outside of it. So, Daniel, thank you for for sharing that perspective and, and helping open my eyes to that, that crucial conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Kairos Talks. We hope that this crucial conversation was impactful for you. We hope you join us next time. Don't forget to subscribe and join in on the conversation in the Kairos Talks Facebook group. Thank you and have a great day.